Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. If you're going to face a real challenge, it has to be a real challenge. You can't accomplish anything without the possibility of failure. Lazarus Lake. It was not there, um, so I didn't look at my watch. I was like, there is nothing else I can do. So yep. I started to move again. Incredible. What mental toughness to just stick to your, stick to what you know. So that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did, did, did you leave any anything there at all? That's that's what, that's happened a few times in the past and someone, people have left like, you know, a, a little wrapper or a bit of food or something at that spot to prove that they were there at least yeah i didn't think about that but uh, i didn't reduce the, the cairn I, I i put the rocks on the i let the, the rocks on the floor so the cairn was not there anymore so i was gonna tell that uh okay. but i didn't yeah that was only my um, my story i'm doc and this is the john freaking mirror pod Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week of adventure, near-death experiences, and type 2 fun. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Hey, if you like what we're doing here, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Help us move up the chart. And if you don't like it, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. 
All right, constant listeners, I have a special bonus episode for you this week. Our regular listeners know that I'm a little preoccupied. That's not quite the right word. I'm a little obsessed with the Barkley Marathons. And this past March, we had some pretty incredible events happen at Frozen Head State Park, the home of the Barkley, including three finishers. And two of those three finishers are joining us this week. That's right. I am speaking to Aurelian Sanchez and John Kelly today. Welcome to the John Freaking Mirror Pod, guys. How's it going? Going pretty well. Thanks for having us. Doing good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And I, I'm sure that you have had a little time to recover, get back home. Where, where are each of you calling in from today? Uh, so I'm I'm up in Boone, North Carolina, uh, Western North Carolina, up in the high country. And uh, myself, I'm in Toulouse, uh, south of France. So it's a little bit later in the day, uh, and it's sunny right here, right now. It's uh, almost spring, almost summer. It's uh, getting nice for getting some trade runs uh, currently. Nice. And to kick things up a notch or two, I am joined by my special co-host for this episode, endurance athlete, wilderness celebrity, and former Barkley competitor, Mr. Jeff Garmeyer. Welcome back, legend. Thanks. Yeah. Celebrity. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely true. Absolutely <laughs> correct. He's on a currently you're on a barnstorming tour for your your documentary that's out right now. Yeah, yeah. Stepping away from the trails and into the theaters. That's what we're doing. And how's it going? What's been the reception of the film? So far, so good. Yeah, it's been fun. Um, yeah, excited to dive into some Barkley talk. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's spend most of our time there. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to. Can I can I start off with a question here? Go right because, ahead. That's why you're because, the co-host. Yeah, I think John John, your uh, approach to things is fascinating. So I I wanted to dive in. Could you just explain what so random forest runner? And then kind of the theory behind that too, because I think it gives a good insight into this intersection of passion in the forest and then kind of your uh, career and and then work endeavors as well. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I'm, I'm a data scientist and a very uh, well-known, highly used algorithm in this area is uh, the random forest algorithm. It's, it's a machine learning uh algorithm and so uh it's the random forest runner is a bit of a play on words between that and and what i like to do outside of work of of just running through random forests i've <laughs> done a couple startups now and one of my partners came up with that we leave it to the the business guy to come up with creative names like that i'm i'm just the the tech guy on the keyboard yeah so which random forest started first uh, probably, yeah, pr probably, probably the geeky one, probably the, uh, the, the data science one. I, I didn't really get back into running and, and doing these sorts of things until, uh, after finishing up grad school, actually it, my wife and I through hiked the John Muir trail and that was, uh, sort of the, the impetus of, of getting me back out there and reignited my, my love of the mountains. Sweet. And then. Aurelian, you did you live in Flagstaff for a while, and then uh, did you move to France? And then is that kind of when did you become familiar with the the trail ultra running world? And and even since you have a FKT yeah, on the John Mayer Trail too. <laughs> I don't live in Flagstaff. I live in Phoenix. 
uh, oh, okay. between 2016 yeah. and 2019, just before COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. I moved back to France uh, for personal reason because I was missing my friends and family. Um, but uh, yeah, I I started hiking when I was uh, when I was in Phoenix. Uh, I spent my weekend in Grand Canyons, uh, most of my weekends actually. Uh, and after some time, I was discovering long hikes, you know. And um, I was curious to to learn about my limits. And uh, and I heard about the Barclay, uh, so I heard about how people get in the, into the Barclay doing FKTs and such. So I got into the John Muir Trail after that. So that's my process. I started hiking in Phoenix in the Grand Canyon, and then got got into ultra running this way. So a big JMT connection here. I mean, we have three three folks here who have uh, current or former FKTs of the the JMT. Is that correct? No, I I... John has done it yet. No, I, oh, John, my, my wife and I took a, a nice, leisurely, enjoyable 17 days. You know, the, the sorts of things that, that sane people do. There is past, present, and future here. Yeah, yeah. maybe. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Perfect. And then you've been out on the John Muir Trail too, Doc, right? That's right. That's right. That's where it all started for me. So uh, <laughs> it's got a special place. Absolutely. Sweet. Now, John, yeah, um, with the John, with your data scientist background, um, what what are what are your thoughts on this whole Chat GPT and AI and people calling for a six month halt on its development? I mean, should we be panicking here? No, we're 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 not quite there yet. Uh, it, you know, it can do some impressive things. It's it's really the most dangerous thing with the current technology. Honestly, is is user error and people thinking that it's better than it is i mean chat gpt if it doesn't know something it just completely makes it up and doesn't tell you so there's there are going to be people that ask it questions it's going to make something up and and they're going to take it as the truth and, and make some disastrous decision on it i, I was trying just a couple days ago look i've got to get a new heating system for our house and i was asking it some questions to try to see the different energy use of, of different ones. And I was like, hey, about how many hours per year at my location is is it below 40 degrees? And it just completely made up some number. And I was like, no, that can't be right. So it completely made up another number that was even higher. And I was like, no, no, that, that was the wrong direction. And it just, again, it gives no indication that it's not confident. It just says everything like it's 100% it's right, no matter how... Uh, how true it is or not. So I, I think that's that's the biggest risk at, at the moment. It sounds like some of the cam conversations at the holiday gatherings with my family. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's dive right into the the Barkley. So, um, yeah, what going into it? Did you? Uh, how did you choose your your crew? Who were you were uh, going out there with? Did you have any contingency plans because the start time is always unknown just take us kind of to that arrival at frozen head which is probably just a short walk for john and quite a few flights for uh, aurelian go for it john you want to kick us yeah. off yeah that's uh i think we maybe we'll alternate uh who, yeah. who goes first on these mm -hmm. uh so for me i mean it was just it was a great experience to, to be back living closer to, to home like you really and i had a stint overseas and, and moved back to be near friends and family again and uh, so just a relatively short drive for me and being able to stay there at my parents house leading up to the race and i had john fegbrassi 
coming back to crew for me, who is the, uh, you watched the original Netflix documentary. He's the, uh, guy that, that dramatically finishes, uh, towards the end, uh, of that and, and held the, the record for the, uh, slowest Barkley finish until Carl broke that this year. <laughs> and, uh, he also crewed for me when I finished in 2017. So it was great to have him back. And I was excited to, just get out there and, and get to welcome so many people to essentially my my home course, my home mountains, and a lot of the runners that had supported me uh, in my time in the UK uh, were were coming over to to compete this year, and so I was able to uh, help them out be- before the race as as best I could, and, and get to see them uh, enjoy this experience. So it was something I. I really looked forward to and went in this year with the mindset of uh being able to to truly appreciate it and not stress very much about the start time or the weather or any of the other things that really i i can do nothing about yeah yeah we just have to cross fingers for the for that exactly as you said we don't have any control so it's just what it is and then uh we deal with it at the end and um, on my side, um, I was a virgin this year. It was my first year. So I think as a virgin, uh, we don't have any choice than to get uh, the experience from a veteran. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was my plan for this year. It was to to learn about the course and everything uh, at, at camp from a veteran. And and luckily, my, the veteran I was counting on was Guillaume Calmet, which is my friend also. Uh, we trained a lot in the Pyrenees together the last two months between uh, yeah January and February. So we already shared the the training together. Uh, then we went to the park about ten days ago. Uh, ten, ten days ago, ten days before the the race. So I could uh, train on the on the trails on whatever cool. is um, is allowed in order to to see where we were going um, during uh, race day. So it was uh, such uh, an important training for me, uh, physical training, but also Guillaume was uh, showing me the, the thing he was able to show me. So it was such a, a great uh, time uh, for me to, to get his experience. Uh, and my plan was was basically it. It was to to follow Guillaume most of the most of the race. Uh, we were we are having fun to to share trainings and uh, and racing together. So so that was my plan, and uh, and then become autonomous as soon as possible. Uh, because I know at the Berkeley everything every time you have to be by yourself. So um, the first loop was about that for me to share, to learn, uh, to get as much as autonomy as I was able. Um, and then at camp, I had Alexandre as well, who came especially from Toulouse. He's, um, he's a very passionate person for, for this Berkeley. Uh, he, he loves this event, so he was able to, to see the event on site uh, and also to, to help me. So, so it was great to have him um, help me uh, to make some uh, transition very fast. So, so that was my plan for, for the first year, yeah, for, for this year. Yeah, see, and Jeff, so Jeff, he brought yeah. somebody passionate about the Barkley who wanted to see it in person. That's that's a very important uh, fact right there. Yeah, so it seems like you're signing yourself up, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Aurelian, um, it's pretty crazy, fun, exciting when that cigarette is lit. It's the most unique way to start a race. Um, were you nervous going into that, and then was it? Hard to stay with Guillaume at all when 40 runners are, you know, and maybe a hundred yards are just compacting into a single track uh, trail. Was it hard to stick with him and was it wild out there or what was going through your head when that thing finally started? 
Yeah, I was in the pack. So it was very strange. I was very, um, I don't know. I was, um, I don't know how to say, intimated uh, by John, by the people around me. I was watching this event on behind my computer, uh, behind Twitter and uh, behind all the videos you can find afterwards. Um, I was feeling like I was in a movie or uh, living my dream, you know, be, uh, around all those people. Uh, yeah, there was there was Damian, there was Guillaume, there was such amazing field, uh, Karel. Um, so I was intimated. I was um, I was like, I'm not at the right place. I, I have big goals for my race, but I know that everybody else around me is so strong and that I don't pretend to be stronger than anyone. So it was very intimating. Anti, 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 yeah, uh, intimidating. <laughs> I don't know how to say. <laughs> anyway, great, you, yeah. I hope you got the point. And then I know we have the same pace with Guillaume. I was not really concerned at the beginning. I was turning around to see where he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had the same goal as the first loop, which was between nine hours and nine hours 30. And he knows what he does as well. Uh, we didn't really want to be in the front at the beginning because we knew that nine, nine hours 30 would give us um, the right margin to, to finish five loops. So I was not stressed about that. I was just ha- ha- uh, going at my own pace. We did eight hours, 45 minutes at the end, which was way faster than what we expected. So I was just fine with that. And uh, I followed my pace. I was watching around Guillaume. We quickly were by ourselves on the first loop. And that's about it. Uh, but yeah, it was um, it was some strange feelings to live my dream and also to be around people that I was uh, watching for uh, this whole time. Yeah. Definitely. And then, John, when you get so you've talked about like showing people uh, your home mountains and stuff, was that really the kind of how that first loop felt, especially since it is large packs just trudging behind veterans for the most part? Was it pretty cool to have that leadership role and bring along some of the new people? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, sorry about that. I had to cut out for a second. Uh, there, there's a plumber here uh, fixing a, a few things. Uh, but uh, even I'll John now. Kelly, even John Kelly, has to call a plumber <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> yeah, we we had a a bad pressure regulator. So every time he turned on the the water here, that the house just moaned like it was haunted by a legion of ghosts. Wow, haunted um, by Barkley Finisher's past. <laughs> But yeah, so it, it, it really is, uh, something that it's, it's fun starting off. And as, as really mentioned that that first climb is, is always fun. Just everyone together and, uh, getting to, to see everyone and, uh, greet everyone, wish everyone luck. And, and then once you start that first descent is, is where things, uh, start to spread out a bit and you've got to start worrying about navigation and, uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I wanted to go into this race kind of stress-free and, and worry-free. And uh, the most stressful part of the race for me is is that first loop on some of those tough descents where I am leading the way. And I know that, like, there's a whole throng of people <laughs> behind me that are just assuming that I'm right on path and they're counting on me to nail that book. And I'm always so nervous that I'm going to miss and then everyone's going to be messed up because of me. Uh, Fortunately on that first loop, I I nailed all the the tough descents and and those again are uh, the descents are generally much worse than, than the climbs because you know, you're moving faster. And as you go down from a peak, all lines spread apart. So if you're Mm -hmm. a little bit off, you end up, 
way over in the middle of nowhere, whereas going up, everything converges at the top. Uh, so it's a, it, it's a fun, but, but stressful experience, I would say on at, at the beginning of the race for me. Yeah. No pressure with everybody following behind, uh, expecting you to know where everything is. <laughs> now I know you, there's a lot of physical training that goes into preparing for the Barkley. You got to do five loops in 60 hours. Um, but how do you account for, how do you train for the sleep deprivation and the decisions you have to make and the waypoints you have to find while being sleep deprived? Is there any way to, to prepare for that? Um, on my side, I'm not, I'm not much training. I'm relying on my past experiences. Uh, I did John Muir trail three times. I failed twice and succeeded uh, on the third time. Uh, my second try was uh, a great experience. I was in my third night without sleeping and I faced hallucination. I, uh, I felt the lack of lucidity and I lost it on my third night because of that. And I'm always thinking about this third night where I had hallucination and where I was not drinking and eating anymore. Uh, I was not doing the right things anymore. Um, I'm relying mostly on my past experience where I remember uh, every time I faced some issues during the night. And um, and sometimes I just take some time to sleep when I really need. So um, 10 to 15 minutes, small naps are already very nice. Uh, otherwise, I'm taking caffeine uh, to, to get woken up sometimes. It, it helps. This is what I did at the Barclay. Uh, and hydrating, eating a little bit more. I'm trying to manage like this past on my previous experiences, but uh, honestly, on my side, I'm not training that much, uh, but I'm doing ultra, which is um, a good way to, to, yeah, to have uh, the background on this, on this uh, difficulty, let's say. I know John has a, a good, good techniques for that as well, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like Aurelian said, it's really just past experience. I don't think there's any way to train your body to need less sleep or to do better when sleep deprived but what you can do is, is you can learn what to expect and you can learn what works for you and and how to handle it i mean for me i know that uh there are certain times of day where my body's just gonna hit a low point like I, it's just my circadian rhythm before and after sunrise uh late afternoon like 4 p.m i'm i'm gonna get tired and sleepy and i know that if i can just push through that little time window then i'll pop out the other side and, and magically be fine and so having that understanding maybe uh proactively taking a bit of caffeine just before that uh can can be a huge help uh knowing when to start caffeine how much it does help me and, and how long it is going to help me eventually caffeine just doesn't do anything for me after a day or so of of kind of relying on it and at that point it's it's knowing you know whether power naps work best for you or a longer sleep works best for me 60 hours is right at that threshold where like i think it's possible for me to do it without sleep i never have i've i've done a number of things in that time range like barkley this year with about 20 minutes of sleep and so it's just for me on demand a lot of dirt naps because that's when i know that I can hit the ground and be out cold, not waste any time, uh, get that 15 minutes or so that's nice and refreshing, maybe take some caffeine right before I go down, uh, and, and that's going to get me going again. The, the absolute worst thing is is to try to force sleep, and like you lie there and can't fall asleep, and you're just wasting your time and, and getting nothing from it. 
after 40 hours, I would, I would take a dirt nap for 15 minutes and I'd wake up, you know, 12 hours later. That, that would be dicey for me. I don't, I don't know yeah. how you can wake up after 15 minutes. Well, well, that's, that's what I, I had to, to worry about this year. Uh, the, so we just get the like $10 cheap watches that, uh, Laz gives us and the alarm didn't work on the watch <laughs> that I was given. So that was a, a big concern for me on the last loop. And I was trying, and unfortunately, it was also a nice, warm, comfortable day. So I was like lying down in creek beds and muddy tire tracks and trying to pour water on myself and, and all these things to where like past a certain threshold, like after 15 minutes or so, my body would say, okay, I'm more uncomfortable than I am sleepy. Uh, so get up and, and get moving before you, you get too cold. Do you think that was intentional? You think Laz went to to the local Walmart and said, "Give me forty watches th- with broken alarms on them." I don't. I don't want the alarms to work on them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know if anyone else's worked or not. I, I think uh, Damien's didn't work because we, we were together on loop four and ended up with uh, him sleeping on top of the book, uh, counting on the the runner behind us to then have to wake <laughs> us up. That's an excellent strategy. Wow, I haven't thought of that. Yeah, unfortunately, Albert was just like 30 seconds behind us. So we kind of laid down and and then there he was, no sleep and, and kept going. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Aurelian? Did you have any worries that you would take a dirt nap and not wake up for two days? Yeah, um, I was um, I was preventing that. I, I wanted really to sleep at camp, and this is why I forced actually my sleep between uh, loop three and loop four just before the last night, just before the second night. And I was uh, fortunately able to sleep about ten minutes, I think, but which was really really great. And uh, after that, when I was on my first loop, I spent half of my loop with Carrel. And uh, at the beginning, I faced some issues. Um, for fifteen twenty minutes, I was. Seeing the trail blurry, uh, not very right. I was falling asleep, uh, working, and with caffeine uh, and hydrating, it helped me. Within 20 minutes, I, I got it back again. And when the when the day um, started again on the fifth loop, I was fine. I didn't need to to sleep anymore. But yeah, I faced some issues on my second night. But thankfully, I was able to sleep a little bit more before, uh, so it could have been worse. Uh, and as John, I just needed uh, 15 minutes uh for the full race which was uh amazing i didn't know on paper if it was possible but i didn't feel the need to to do more uh, when i was uh doing it yeah so i want to go back to the first book of the whole race i remember when i got to it it's just a mess of 40 people and everyone takes a minute or two to flip to their page and rip it out is that kind of when the race separates a little bit and then there's some people with anxiety you're waiting on someone who flips to the wrong page or anything or how do you uh you know you're you've rushed to get to this book you're in the barkley and now you're kind of waiting in line to get your get your page number was that uh how what took place this year as well so J- jared kind of sacrificed himself uh, yeah. at that point <laughs> it was it's like you say that the mad rush and, and everyone is trying to to get their page and, and get moving and not get scraped. Mm-hmm. And and Jared just kind of calmly took the book and starts asking people's page numbers and <laughs> ripping everyone's page out and standing there. To, I, I don't know if he saved himself for, for dead last or, or not, but, uh, you know, brought, brought order to the chaos there. And <laughs> uh, but yeah, otherwise, that's. That first book can be a bit of a mess and, and then things you have a 
a runnable portion. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, it, I mean, it is flat. It's it's pretty runnable uh, it, in any terms, not just in Barclay terms, and, and then a, a descent. And so that does spread people out a bit. Uh, I find that generally when things really start to spread out and, and you kind of end up in probably the, the groups you might be with for the first two loops or, or even three loops uh, is on the the third climb. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess just at that point is, is where the adrenaline is worn off and, and people start to stop and think, oh, maybe maybe this isn't the pace for me. <laughs> now, the Barkley is unusual for a lot of reasons, but uh, one of the reasons is that you know, in most races, there is a clearly defined course. I mean, you know, you know exactly where you're going when you line up for the LA Marathon or a, a trail marathon or an ultra. You know, you know where you're going. But the Barkley, the course changes uh, a bit each year, and there, it's not clearly defined where it is. I think you're given a map at the very beginning, right? And, and when I say given a map, you're given access to a map, and you have to copy down the route. Is that uh, is that correct? How, how does that process work? Yeah, so um, I mean, I can start maybe this time. So I, I was new to that. Uh, Guillaume explained me the process. He showed me uh, what he was able to show me. Uh, I was excited uh, to to see the map. Uh, I was uh, excited to see uh, where we were going exactly, what was uh, the changes that we were going to face, uh, the new books and etc. And uh, yeah, basically, uh, I spent some time. I think I spent about two hours because I did two maps. Uh, I had two backpack on my side and I wanted to change very fast with a, a new one, uh, another one which was already ready. And uh, as you said, I spent a lot of time doing the, the drawing, the exact line to make sure uh, when I was out there that I was analyzing properly where we are going. Because some people doesn't know. Uh, they think it's uh, orienteering event. It's not an orienteering event. You don't have to go from books to books. You really have to follow the course. You really have to follow the line. It's not about getting from book one to two to three, etc., cetera, uh, or changing the number of books, uh, doing one book before the other. You really have to follow the line. And uh, and this is important for the rules, for the course um, respect, let's say, because this is uh, the background of the race before. There were no books. People were just out there following the course and going back. But then Laz and the runners didn't really know if they followed the, the race. So this, this is when he put books during the race. So this is, this is very important to draw the line perfectly so that you're sure that you're on course. And as you said, sometimes it's difficult to know. But most of the time when you know the, the ridge, uh, when you cross the river, uh, you know that basically you're doing the right thing. Yeah, that that's my, at this point, my my least favorite part of the race is, is having to to draw the map and copy over all my compass bearings over. It's, it's nice because only portions of the course change each year. And so I can kind of copy my old map and then just update it with, with the new portions. But starting out early on, you know, I had a map with every single thing I could pick out on Google Earth, like every old logging road, every little pond and stream and everything I added to my map. I had sight lines drawn to windmills that were on <laughs> mountains, like way off the map, but just knowing that like that would be a reference point for me at night is seeing those little blinking lights on, on the windmills. Now I'm kind of just like, it's, uh, I, I, I know where to go. Do I really need to do this? Yes. I should force myself to do it to, to refresh everything. 
But like like Aurelian says, it's uh, it, it is a course and it, it's not orienteering. And and the other thing to add to that is just that it, it follows the natural lay of the land. And so if you try to to approach it like orienteering, where you're just drawing straight lines between everything and then following compass bearings dead on, it's it's not going to work out for you. You've, you've got to you know it'll go down a spur and then follow a creek and then go up another ridge line and and so it's it's a very natural flow to the course uh and, and you you have to be sure that you're on those terrain features not just because that's where the course is but because if you get off of them that's where you get in trouble and you find yourself lost so what what was your method of kind of following that natural lay, especially if you're tired, do you have back like backstops in? Like if I hit this, I've gone too far, or um, I know that I just have to get up to this ridge line. I don't have to nail the exact spot exactly. Uh, what was your process in having some of that, that info to work on, especially when you're getting quite tired and just having little checkpoints along the way? How did you guys approach that? Yeah, for, for me, backstops and, and handrails are enormously important of, of knowing, you know, if I, if I hit this Creek, I've, I've gone too far and I, I need to go back up or turn left or right or, or whatever. And then also going down, having something on either side of me that is kind of guiding me to, to keep me on, on the right track, whether that be like a mountain laurel thicket or a, a gully or a Creek or, or whatever, those are bit more difficult obviously at night or in the fog which we didn't have any fog this year miraculously but at those points i am especially the tops of descents i'm checking my compass bearing just to make sure that i'm I'm headed in the general right direction uh you know again it's not early on i well it's 52.5 degrees and here's my declination and, and i try to nail it perfectly but it's it's really just you know, I'm going down the southeast spur instead of the south spur. Just make sure I get on the right one, and and then I, I should be good. Yeah, uh, and on my side, I did uh, two. I mean, I did several mistakes. Uh, there is two I have in mind right now. One of them was uh, coming down some uh, some ridge. Uh, when I was at the bottom, I saw the river which was flowing from right to left, while I was expecting it to flow from the left to right. Uh, so I knew I was not at the right place. <laughs> So I analyzed my map and uh, I saw there were some uh, two rivers crossing at some point. So I went I went to, to south on one of them. Um, so basically, I corrected. I analyzed uh, what did I see, what did I do wrong? Where where am I right now? So I took out the map and analyzed and um, okay, I think I should be here. So I backtrack and yeah, seeing trying to see where you're at and what is the river looking like and and the other mistake I've done was going to a summit where I was expecting to find a book. Uh, I didn't find the book. Then I was thinking um, you should have crossed a trail before the summit, and I didn't remind uh, to to have crossed a trail. So I started doubting uh, that I was on the right uh, summit. I look at the map, and I saw there was an adjacent summit, uh, a summit just uh, more eastern uh, to the one I should have been, and there is a trail going southern of the summit. So I saw on the map, okay, I think you're not at the right place. You went too far um, east uh, that you should have. So I backtracked, found the actual trail uh, going more um, northeast, and then was able to find the right summit. So you have really to analyze what you're crossing 
I didn't cross a trail while I should have crossed a trail, which was a, an indicator. And when I was at the summit, I didn't lose much time looking for the books. I spent, I think, two minutes and I was feeling that something was not right. Um, so, yeah, you have to expect where you're going, what you have to cross. And, uh, yeah, keep keep uh, your eye open every time. So how did you remain calm in that moment? Because being a virgin and, you know, just out there, sounds like at that point, on your own, it sounds like... A, good recipe for spiraling or getting nervous and antsy uh, yeah. yeah were you uh internally freaking out a little bit or how did you remain calm and rational and finding where you should actually be uh, i was freaking out but i was also expecting those, mon- those moments to happen this is Berkeley. i was expecting for a while ago to be on my own and to be lost and to not pan- panic mm-hmm. and this was the situation i was uh, alone i was lost and i had to not panic because if you panic then you start to, to lose your race so this, this was it. I was uh, now I had to manage by myself and to analyze. So of course I had my heart rate going up. <laughs> it was a, a moment where I was thinking that I could lose my race anytime. Uh, but I slowed down. I took out my map. I started uh, analyzing, uh, doing my best. I lost some time, but it was not crucial. Every mistake I've done, I've done many of them. It was never more than 15 minutes or 20 at the maximum for two two mistakes. And, uh, and it, it was fine. As I'm going to go back to the beginning of the race uh, again, uh, Aurelian, as a as a Berkeley virgin, how, how far in advance, how much time in advance did you get to the course? And what kinds of activities did you engage in as you're waiting for the, the race to start? And then I want to hear from John Kelly, uh, a, an experienced veteran Berkeley runner, you know, how that how that is different um, from his perspective. So, sorry, I didn't get your question on uh, this time. Yeah. So when um, when you arrived to the race, how much in advance? I mean, were you there a day in advance, or you had hours in advance? Oh, okay. and, so, and what kinds of activities did you did you uh, partake in while while you're waiting for the race to start? So at the camp, I just arrived the, the day of the race, uh, but I was there for ten days uh, before that, so I could train. Uh, I think every day we did forty k uh, with Guillaume. For, uh, yeah, a uh, lot of training I went into that, into the park. Um, then we had two days of resting, um, but we were in Oak Ridge. We were 10, 20, 30 minutes away from the park, and we were there. We went there every day to train uh, on the trails, and uh, and then I went to the camp. Uh, for uh, yeah, it was the same day for the race. Okay, Don, how about you? Yeah, I, I, I drove down about a week in advance uh, and and met up with with Damien Hall, one of my good friends and, and rivals from the UK, who was uh, there for the first time this year, and I uh, got to show him around. We we did some some good runs uh, on the trails around Frozen Head, saw the sights, and. Had some uh, good fun introducing him to uh, some, some American cuisine, Sonic and, and Bojangles and, and the like. You know, all all the finest uh, that, that we have to offer. So uh, it was just you know it was a, a nice nice week. Uh, good to kind of get out uh, in the park and and in the right mindset for it. But again, just uh, trying to enjoy that process uh, leading up to the race. So, John, are there still areas of the course where you're, I guess, a little less confident? And are, are those ones you, I mean, you can't run the course per se, but at least think about or or check out or think through? Are there areas where you're a little less certain still? Yeah, there there are a couple 
of, of the crimes. And, and like I mentioned early on, uh, the, the parts that are a bit nerve wracking for me on loop one when I'm, I'm leading and, and yeah. everyone is expecting that I'm just 100% spot on all the time. And, uh, there are those spots where I'm, I'm not fully confident. Uh, some of the, uh, newer sections, uh, there's, there's one in particular called the meat grinder that is, mm -hmm. It's it's difficult to find a good line uh, on it. Uh, I I have done that now. Whether I can do that again in the in the future and, and nail it, who who knows? Uh, but it's it's one of those where it, it's not necessarily just um, being able to stay on course, but one of those deals where you know five feet to either side might make the difference between running through a bunch of boulders or a bunch of undergrowth or all sorts of things and, and knowing which line to take uh, can can make a big difference. So unfortunately, you know, you can't you can't really check out those sections before the race. So it's it's about learning and and focusing and, and remembering these things uh, during the race. All right. Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to pay some bills. We're going to hear from our sponsors. And then when we come back, we're going to hear some more stories from Frozen Head State Park. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Through hiker owned Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your pod podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. 
video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are here today with uh, Jeff Garmeyer, and we're talking to Aurelian Sanchez and John Kelly, finishers of this year's Barkley. Heard a lot of great information in that first segment. Uh, Jeff, where, where do we want to go with the second segment? Well, I I mean, naturally, we talked about the beginning and how uh, there's a lot of people, especially following John through the woods, through his home woods, actually. Um, but yeah, as it spreads out and and everyone sets off on their own, I I'm really curious how how that kind of presents itself and if it's natural or if you're you're waiting for people or clinging on and then how you just naturally separate and by the fifth loop of course everyone's going different directions but about what point in the race do you start finding yourself alone or maybe with just one other person for for me in in general uh things start to get a barely well defined uh about halfway through the first loop and then you know depending on what size your group is you, you'll have some some people start to to drop off uh mm-hmm. but for me uh I, I was with damien and albert and, and christoph uh for the first two loops and then christoph dropped back and i was uh, with damien and albert uh until about halfway through loop four where I just kind of, I was on a climb and looked back and found that suddenly they, they weren't there. And so that's the sort of thing you naturally just kind of identify people that are moving at about the same pace and you can be mutually beneficial to to one another uh, up until the point that someone does have to drop back or or becomes, uh, you know, starts putting out, uh, negative, negative thoughts. Uh, can, th- those those seeds of doubt can be disastrous at, at Barclay. Uh, so you know those those sorts of of separations just naturally occur. But I was very impressed this year. Some of the well, there's one out and back section where you can kind of see where other people are, and on on loop two, uh, there were still like a dozen people at that point i was like wow any of these people could could still move well enough to to finish it was a few very strong groups uh, all with uh good uh veteran experience uh within them uh towards the front of the race so it was uh, d- definitely a a strong year from start to finish was that different than past years that you've done it has it have you not seen so much potential i guess yeah i mean generally in in past years by the time you get most of the way around loop two there's there's kind of like you you know the lead group still has a chance to finish here are the people that still have a chance for a fun run uh i I don't think i've ever seen it where that deep into loop two i I look at the field and i'm like wow there's a dozen people here that are at this point still moving well enough and you know that some of them are going to drop off as as in any race uh but it was 
I mean, I think the best indicator of this is the fact that of the three of us that finished, none of us really ran together. Like we were in separate <laughs> groups pretty much the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. What about um, you, Aurelian? I know you were running with Guillaume and um, was the plan just to no matter what stick together as long as you could or was there contingencies if something came up too? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was the plan, uh, but uh, no commitment. You know, um, you're, you're stronger when you're with a person usually, but you don't have to commit also because when you're in a race, you know, you never know what happens. Mm -hmm. uh, after some time, we slowed down, uh, so I decided to move forward. Uh, this is where I started to move alone. I think after half of the second loop, so I was, I was alone by myself. And then when I finished my second loop, I saw Jared and Carrer moving away on the third loop. And I was thinking it would be nice for me to catch them up uh, in order to avoid to make any uh, orienteering um, navigational mistakes. Um, so that's what I did. I was with uh, Karel, Jared, and Christophe for some time on, on the third loop. Then I spent some time with Karel on the fourth loop, exactly for the same reason. I think uh, we are stronger when we are with someone. Uh, but at some point, I was counting on Karel uh, as a veteran, and, and Karel was counting on me to shut down his brain sometime when he was uh, falling asleep um, because uh, the help of someone else, you know, um, you can just rely on uh, working behind. And this is what Carver was doing at some point and he was not fixing my error soon enough. So we were doing uh, navigational mistakes that we should not have made because of me rushing into the, um, the climbs and the descents. So at this point, I decided to move forward to accelerate. It was half of the loop uh in order to to catch the front runner um and also to focus on myself i know the, the section of the course when i moved away about half uh, of the race and until uh, until the tower i was familiar with that the climb was uh, was okay and uh, it, it was for me it was um, easy to navigate so i was familiar to being by myself and to refocus again then i joined uh, damian for some time uh, then i moved away um, until the end of the fourth loop um, and then no choice on the fifth loop, you're by yourself. Uh, I was very frustrated when um, when John chose uh, the clockwise because um, I was really afraid of the counterclockwise. I knew I was going to make some navigational mistakes. I just didn't know um, how long there were going to be. If there were going to be 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes mistakes. Uh, I was con concerned about that. Uh, but then you have to deal with it uh, and uh, try to minimize uh, the errors, of course. Yeah. So let's yeah, go I, to. Oh yeah, go ahead. I was just say uh, I didn't realize you, you and Carl were were together that long. Um, but yeah, Aurelian yeah. just had incredible pacing uh, through this race, and again to, to be your first year and, and do that much on your own, and then on loop four surge like that. I mean, when I lost Damien and Albert on loop four, I thought, well, that's it. I'm I'm alone. Like, mm -hmm. There's there's no one close to me. And then I, I get at the bottom of the last ascent before heading into camp. And I look back up and I, I see a, a headlight starting down the switchbacks at the top. And I'm like, who, who is that? Like, how did that happen? Because I hadn't seen anyone for a while. So it, it really was 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 really moving. Uh, and, and yeah, I thought I was going to be able to get a quick nap before loop five, but I, I had to get back out quickly so I, I could choose that direction, which I, I wanted both for my confidence uh, and and personal reasons. But I also, I kind of figured, you know, like when I was with Damien, 
and and considering who would go which way I, in my head i was like well i'm i'm more confident clockwise the the people who are here for the first time they're equally unconfident in either direction so you know <laughs> it, well, it doesn't matter you know it's but <laughs> uh, really... now in the end yeah <laughs> i think it's more complicated uh, for me at least but uh, it was okay <laughs> yeah i mean there, there are just a couple of um there, there are a few of the uh, sections that I'm, I'm a bit less confident navigating in, in the counterclockwise direction. But you, uh, you know, you either nailed it or you did poorly and were just absolutely flying. One of the two, because uh, <laughs> again, you had just amazing uh, pacing uh, throughout the race and, and an incredible fourth and fifth loop. Yeah, thank you. And I was uh, trying to compensate my errors during the fifth loop. I was uh, jogging, running, whatever I was able to. And um, yeah, I did some mistakes, uh, not critical every time, but I was still having a good pace, which uh, which saved my uh, my loop. Yeah. yeah, those those little errors can can add up and and really mm. do do more damage than than you think over the course of a race this long. Yeah. Yeah, guys, it is a it is a long race, both in terms of time and distance, and so many things can go wrong out there. At what point did you realize that hey, I'm I might finish this year? When, when did that realization come in that it, I've got a shot? Last year, uh, like <laughs> you've you've got to go into this thing expecting to finish. If you expect less, then that's what you're going to get. Expectations Perfect. are so important. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, uh, I was believing, uh, be, believing it in it also. That's why I, I prepared for it. Uh, I was never sure about it, uh, and I was pretty sure it was maybe going to happen during my fifth loop. Actually, after my fourth loop, when I uh, finished my fourth loop, I was uh, feeling like I had enough time. But you have to, to keep focus. You have to stay focused. You have to keep in mind whatever happened in the past during this race uh, that you can lose everything uh, only at one book. Uh, so I was aware it was it may happen uh during my first loop but i realized it will happen really at the end on the, at the end of my uh, last descent because you have to keep focus you have to avoid uh, doing any 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 mistakes before the end yeah uh, so uh, i always go into this thinking we, we have a little reservoir of time for mistakes or naps or, or whatever and so if if I can make it through the first couple of loops, uh, you know, I think that the third loop is, is where the race really starts. The fourth is always the toughest. Uh, if I can make it to those loops and I still have my full reservoir, it kind of switches into disaster prevention mode where I'm just, I'm pretty confident as long as I don't make any huge stupid mistakes. And, and so that's the big, the big focus, just prevent catastrophe and, and you're good. So what happens, so you finish or you're finishing loop four. Now you both know that you're fairly close. Is it a mad rush? What's happening at camp when you're trying to prepare for that fifth and very important loop and also go the direction you want to go and, and everything? What's going through both of your minds just knowing that this is your last chance with your crew? You better have everything you need and, and you have an amount of time you can finish, but it's also pretty pretty fickle too you can't leave without things you're going to need out there how how do you approach going into that that last time with your crew and then setting off for that final final loop 
Yeah, on, on my side, it was um, a mix between uh, wanting to rush to choose my uh, direction. <laughs> um, but uh, I didn't want to race um, for that. I didn't want to sprint until the, the gate. So when I saw John that was ready, um, I uh, I stopped. I took my time. As you said, you have to be by yourself for the fifth loop. You don't have to rush. You really have to, to eat to get the proper um, equipment and everything. So... I had a time where I started to move quickly and uh, I was thinking if John is taking a nap or if it takes more time, 10, 15 minutes, I was not aware uh, really. I just choose my direction and I go. When I saw John that was ready and uh, he stand up and move towards the gates, uh, I decided to slow down, uh, focus on uh, on my rest and uh, whatever I need to do. I know that the direction now is uh, it's done. So as you said, uh, I was eating properly, making sure that I had my gear and, uh, and that was it. Yeah, it was a bit of a more of a rush than, than I expected. Again, I, I thought I was going to have a bit of time uh, before loop five and uh, with Aurelian's big closing speed there on the second half of, of loop four, I, I didn't. And so uh, it was a bit speedier getting back out than, than I expected uh, versus uh, I thought maybe I would take a nap. Uh, but I, I have complete confidence in uh, Feggy, John Fegg-Bressi, my, my crew. Uh, everything was ready. Everything was good to go. I, I knew what I, I needed to do. Uh, there were a few hiccups. Like, you know, I, I switched my shoes and before realizing that I forgot to take off my tights and I had to take the shoes back off and take the tights off and put them back on. And, you know, a bit of that was, was again, more more rushed than I thought it would be. Uh, there were definitely, Aurelian, if, it, if it's any uh, consolation to you, there, there were times uh, the first half of Luke 5 where I was I was definitely second-guessing myself. And I was like, God, I should have just taken the nap and <laughs> and, and let Aurelian choose the direction because I was, I was struggling bad um, on on the first, first few hours of, of Luke 5. So take us through that second that second half of loop five. I mean, you you've been going for you know fifty hours, more than fifty hours at this point. You've got uh, four and a half loops under your belt. What what it, what was that last half loop like? And take us through that final approach to the to the yellow gate. What's going through your mind? What's the reaction of everybody out there? Well, you finished first, Aurelian, so you, you should uh, you should go okay. first on, on this I can one. Do that, yeah. Um, my my first half of the fifth loop was the most difficult to navigate uh, on my side. Um, I've, once I was at garden spot uh, for the second half, uh, let's say, it was uh, easier. I was less concerned, so I was more executing, let's say, uh, keeping the focus. Of course, um, I was starting to have some pain on my right knee, uh, then on my left um, ankles, uh, but which was fine. I was just hoping it would not get worse, um, uh, and I was I was going to go through it. It was uh, the end coming soon, so it was fine. Um, I had a struggle at some book uh, which was missing uh, because the hiker uh, removed it from um, from the race. It was uh, standing on the trails, and uh, I was not able to find it. So um, that was concerning. Um, I was pretty sure, I was 100% sure I was at the right place. Um, there was no nothing about the books, no pages, no plastic bags, nothing around me. So um, there was nothing nothing else I could do except uh, starting to move again. Um, so that was frustrating. I was waiting. I mean, I was uh, expecting for last to to ask me how do you have 12 pages instead of 13 and i was not able to answer but uh, i didn't find the books <laughs> so i was frustrated about that but nothing else i could do so i started moving again after 10 minutes 
um, maximum, I think. Um, and then, yeah, I was um, I had I had the margin. Uh, I had some some time. I knew I was gonna gonna finish, so I was really focused on every climb uh, and uh, the last descent. Uh, and then I got emotional at the end when I knew it was done. Um, uh, but yeah, it was um, it was a better fifth loop than I was expecting. I was um, managing the navigational errors in the right way, uh, and my pace was uh, better than I was expecting. Um, so so it was it was great for me. What a nightmare situation! Someone someone takes a book <laughs> while you're still out there on the course. I mean, that had to be just absolutely heart sinking to to get there and know you're in the right place but there's no book i mean that that is i can't even imagine what's going through your mind at that point no to be honest it was okay uh, to be honest uh, myself um <laughs> I, I knew i knew i knew i was doing it i knew i finished the race uh, the books is um, for external validation is uh, for for labs to approve that you're a finisher um on my side i knew i was doing it uh, i was I was making my dream come true. Uh, I was feeling emotional at this time already. And then, yeah, there was no books. Um, so I was thinking the scenario, I was thinking that I would maybe not be an official finisher, um, but I was almost fine with that because uh, I did my race. Uh, so that was the most important uh, of, of everything. Did you give yourself a set amount of time to look for the book and then you were going to just run it in from there? Um, or what was your process of thinking, well, I'm pretty sure it's right. I'm going to look around, but then once you're absolutely sure you you ran it in, did you have anything like that in your mind? I I knew exactly where it was. Uh, mm. There was no doubt. Uh, there is a cairn uh, where there you have a lot of rocks that you have to take out in order to see the books. Mm. I took them out, all of them. <laughs> there were no cairn anymore. <laughs> Every rocks were on the floor. So I was pretty sure it was not there. Okay. Um, and it was not around. I went 20, 10, 20 meters around this. It was mm -hmm. not there. Um, so I didn't look at my watch. I was like, there is nothing else I can do. So yep. I started to move again. Incredible. What mental toughness to just stick to your, stick to what you know. So that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah did, did you leave any, anything there at all? That's, that's what, that's happened a few times in the past. And someone, people have left like, you know, a, a little, wrapper or a bit of food or something at that spot to prove that they were there at least yeah i didn't think about that but uh, i didn't redo the the cairn I, I i put the rocks on the i let the, the rocks on the floor so the cairn was not there anymore so i was gonna tell that uh okay. but i didn't yeah that was only my um my story let's say or, or, or you could have gone with damien couldn't find his first book on loop five which was there uh damien was just <laughs> in the wrong spot and and he he decided that he was going to pick up a rock and a leaf and bring them back to us to, to prove that he was there in his delirious state of mind. He's going to be like, look, here's a rock. I was, I was clearly there. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's a, a really just such an awesome statement and an example, I think, of uh, people who have success in this race. They're internally driven and, and just exactly what you said there, like you you knew that you did it. So does it really matter uh, whether you, you had that uh, irrefutable proof or, or not? It was, uh, you, you had the accomplishment and those who who know would know that you did it. And that includes yourself. Exactly. And, and that goes, you know, I also find it hard to believe in a lot of these things like where 
uh, whether Barkley or other ultras are big challenges, like people try to cheat. And I'm like, they're like, these are, these are personal things. How do you cheat yourself? And unless, unless you can somehow go back and erase your own memory, like you, you always know what you did. So, uh, I mean, that, that's just awesome that that was basically your, your takeaway of, I know I did it. So I'm going to keep going. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys see each other out there on that fifth loop? Oh, we, we missed each other on a, a that out and back section uh, known as Leonard's butt squad. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a steep out and back that's overgrown and, and very undulating. It's it's one of those where there there are a number of very close together kind of fingers running down the hillside. And so if you're on either side of that, just you know, maybe ten meters apart, you you, you might not see each other. And so we missed each other there. I knew that he was there before me because his book page was gone. I saw Carl at the end. Carl was starting that as I finished it. And and he said that he had seen early. And so we, we kind of saw each other by, by proxy, but, but not directly. John, take us, take us through the, the last half of that fifth loop for you and the finish. So that that half of the loop was was great for me. Uh, once I made it through that first section where I was struggling with sleep, I did get a little bit of, of a nap, a uh, garden spot about a third of the way through the loop. And so I, I had that to refresh me. And then I had daylight hours. And then uh, at some point, you kind of get the adrenaline of the finish just magnetically pulling you towards it. And that really helps overcome any remaining sleep deprivation. So my focus on that last half was just, again, don't screw up, just simple and methodical about everything. Uh, You know, getting some extra calories down at at the tower. I had a whole thing of like, I just took a a whole extra sachet of, of tailwind recover and, and chugged it there with, with the water that I had to just get calories down, be sure I got the water that I needed, be sure I didn't make any mistakes and uh, to enjoy it, to actually be able to to take that time to really process and appreciate and, and think about the, the close of, of the race this year. The, the first time I finished uh, it was raining and cold and foggy and miserable, and I was delirious, as I think is plainly obvious to anyone who saw me run up to the gate wearing a grocery bag, a poncho, and a hat that I, I found out in the briars. Um, this year, it was it was beautiful weather. I, I had the extra time. Uh, I was I was confident of it, and I got to. Uh, I mean, I, I mentioned the the direction for personal reasons. That the final, if you go clockwise, the final climb is on Chimney Top, which is a mountain that I, I spent a lot of time on as a kid with my family and our little family farm that's been there for two hundred years is is right at the bottom of of that mountain, and so uh, I, I'd had this vision the first time I finished of. of you know, going up that climb and triumphantly getting to the top and ripping out my last page and looking down. And I didn't have that at all. And this year I I did. It was, it was a beautiful sunset as I climbed it. I got to the top, I sat and enjoyed it for a bit. And then just, uh, you know, as as Rillian said, the, the, the big moment for me in these races is never the finish itself. It's that moment that I know 
uh, the finish is inevitable. It's just a, a formality. And so at that point, I, I knew all I had to do was jog back down an easy trail into camp. And and so that that was my moment to to get to uh, enjoy that and appreciate it before heading down. Now, each of you uh, finished with a little bit of time to spare, but uh, whether or not we were going to have three finishes this year, that was that was seriously in doubt for some time. Um, as we are waiting, I, I'm following Keith Dunn's Twitter feed. I'm I'm like refreshing every every five <laughs> seconds trying to figure out is is Sabe going to finish or not. Uh, what was the atmosphere like as as the the clock was kick, clicking down to to sixty hours? That part was was really rough for me. Is it, it did feel a bit like two thousand seventeen uh, for me, where we had Gary's uh, terrible uh, miss near near finish there, um, and I was sitting there in camp looking out towards where Carl should be coming from and, and constantly doing the math in my head of, you know, okay, well, I think I should see his headlight there. And from there it's, you know, if he runs well, it's eight minutes back to the gate and he's got 15 minutes left and, you know, just constantly doing that mental math, like, can he still make it? And so seeing him come in for that finish that close and especially knowing everything that he's put into the race the past few years and how much it means for him that was just an absolute uh awesome thing to see and you know to be honest selfishly also i was sitting there thinking come on carl hurry up and finish i hurt and i'm tired and i want to go home <laughs> yeah for me too it was interesting to to see actually it's the same for us it's like we are in front of twitter refreshing every time we are looking uh turning our heads around and uh, we don't know where carrier is so it's uh very intriguing uh to to know if he's gonna make it or not at the last minute uh then there is 15 minutes remaining and we still don't know where he is uh so it's uh it's concerning you know and uh, he makes it uh seven minutes before the, the cutoff so it's an amazing fit for him he was chasing that for uh for so long so i think it's a good relief for him to to have made it yeah yeah, and and just I, I've always used my own first finish as the uh, as an example of how the little things can add up. I now have Carl as an even better example, where you know if, if he had taken ever seven seconds per hour, he he wouldn't have finished like an additional seven seconds per hour of the race, and he would not have finished. That's that's nothing, like absolutely not. That's stopping to you know undo your your gel packet instead of doing it on the go if, if you're looking at doing a boston qualifying marathon that's that's less than a second per mile like it's uh, you know just absolutely tiny and i i can't imagine what was going through his head on on that way you know i got to say i i enjoyed the last descent it was, it was nice it was daylight it was uh, i was confident had plenty of time whereas i, I can't imagine him just constantly checking his watch all the way down that that last descent, not not being sure if he's he's going to make it. So, did you two treat it on that last lap as a race, or like against each other, or was it truly about that finish? And and once you got there, it wasn't. It was uh, an afterthought of who was first and who was second. To me, I really did not care, uh, honestly. Um, 
really, I, really, I, I think this is a wrong thing to do on the fifth loop. You really still have to focus on yourself. Uh, the race is never finished until it's finished. Uh, if you start racing against someone that you don't know where he is uh, and you don't listen to yourself, I think uh, that's not the way to go if you really want to finish. I never felt like I was uh, on a hurry because of that. Uh, I was focusing on my navigational uh, mistakes and on my pace and everything. And uh, to me, just being in the race this year was, was uh, amazing. I was living my dream. Finishing on my first attempt was uh, amazing. Uh, finishing in front of everyone was a, a, no, a no care, uh, honestly, um, and I was not pretending to, to do that. So I had never the, the feeling of that. Uh, when I finished, I thought John had finished already. Um, then people told me uh, at camp that uh, I was the first one to finish. I was surprised. Uh, I didn't feel any proud of that. Uh, of course, the fact that I was faster than uh, someone that is inspiring me so much is, is a good feeling. Um, but I was never um, feeling the, the race going on until someone um, against someone else. So um, to me, it was um, not something I had in mind. Now. Yeah, I mean the, the risk reward just isn't there, and and especially having finished before, as everyone mentioned, if if you get too focused on that and distracted by wondering what someone else is doing you're much more prone to to make a mistake that is going to cause you to to not even finish period and so to to risk not finishing in order to try to finish first is is a difficult proposition and you know especially again i, I wanted to be sure that i i enjoyed it as well uh the Really, the only time that I was thinking about Aurelian on the fifth loop was in those early stages where I was trying to push myself and and do the math and thinking, okay, if I make it to this book and fall asleep on this book, then will Aurelian get here in time to wake me up and still give me a chance to finish? That that was the uh, th that was the main concern on on my mind for the the first half of the loop at least. Yeah, I love that, and that's kind of the ethos of Barkley, just with you know, send forty souls out there, and you know, naturally fall into groups and and work together. And I think that's one of the things that's pretty special about it. Just, I mean, even starting off, John, with you saying you wanted to show people kind of your home mountains and Aurelian uh, getting to run with your friend through one of the most experiences out there. Uh, can you guys just kind of describe that whole? feeling because we I mean everyone watching at home thinks of it as a race and Keith Dunn's putting up like the times people finish but it feels like it's uh, quite a bit more than that and you know you want to give yourself a chance to finish by finishing loops in the right amount of time but it, it really does feel like this this thing that if one person every year tried it there'd be very little chance of ever a finisher but it's that camaraderie and teamwork I think that is pretty special so you guys want to maybe the feelings at camp or having crew or just this because it's such a small campground in a tight-knit community if you want to elaborate on that and let people know how special and how different it is from something we call a race yeah for me it's all about community as you said um i think we are about in the same um you have the same idea of the race it's not about uh 
uh, I don't know, um, having a lot of media or uh, having a lot of uh, people around the, the race, uh, trying to preserve uh, what it was, what it is right now, uh, being part of this community, which want to preserve this event, which is great, uh, sharing. Uh, as you said, it's a race, it's the race it's itself, uh, and we have to, to work to, together uh, for that. Uh, so partnership are very important and I think we have to find funds doing that also it's not all about um, suffering and uh, accomplishment it's uh, it's about also finding books um, like we are finding Easter Easter eggs <laughs> right now uh, in the in the backyard it's all about that also and it's having fun it's pushing pushing our own limits pushing the limits of the race together um, and uh, and it's pretty fun and I don't think you can find that in other events uh, except this one yeah, for, for me, I, I get a, a great deal of enjoyment and, and fulfillment out of doing what I can to uh, help first-time people out there, with uh, whether it be during the race itself or, or beforehand. I, I love kind of having, uh, it, you know, really mentioned he, he got a, a bit of satisfaction of, out of running faster than me, and I, I love that I, I have that, that, like, if, if someone beats me at something like this, I, I want that to give them an, an extra feeling of, of accomplishment and achievement. And, and so if that's a, a target on my back while, while I'm out there, that's, that's good fun uh, for me. The, uh, you know, I, I will make them work for it. Otherwise it doesn't mean anything. Uh, <laughs> but once we're out there, it's, uh, it's enjoyable to, to be with, with other people and, and to, to spend that time with them. But again, it's also very mutually beneficial of, uh, especially in the, the later stages where you are inevitably going to have a moment where you lose focus and you make a careless mistake and, and having other people there, the chances are much lower that you're going to make the same mistake at the same time and not be able to correct one another. So it's, uh, is something that is, uh, you know, practical and, and functional, uh, most of all. And, and when it no longer is, when, uh, you're, you're having a, a negative effect on each other's races, then, then you separate. But Barkley over the years, you, you know, it, it's constantly evolving. It's, it's constantly changing. It's, it's a bit of an arms race that the goal is to keep it at a 1% finisher rate. And so as, uh, the, uh, the, the, the runners out there have gotten better. They've gotten better gear. They've gotten better strategies. They've gotten better training. Uh, they're now working as a team. They're now having quick loop change, you know, interloopal changes at the gate. All of these things, once they start being done, it, they almost become a necessity in the future because the race evolves uh, to counter that strategy. And then if you don't use that strategy, you're sunk. And, and so while it's definitely possible to finish the race uh, completely by yourself, uh, I, I feel like it's uh, your chances are enormously uh, lower to, to do it on, on the current course. That's a great, uh, great segue for me to ask this next question. John, this, this race has a cult following. Barkley has a lot of passionate followers, a lot of people involved and invested in this. And, you know, Laz, he is larger than life. He Is he solely responsible for organizing this and setting this up right now? Uh, some things have, have started to transition, which is, is great to see as, you know, he 
eventually will ride off into the sunset of a happy retirement, uh, I hope. Uh, I imagine he'll still be there, uh, I hope, as as long as he can uh, for as many years in, in the future as that is. But he has started uh, handing over some of the responsibilities for many of his races now. And it's it's great to know that they will be in good hands and uh, continue on well into the future. Now, have there been any thoughts or conversations about, you know, with your experience and passion for the Barkley and your location, you know, where you live, uh, any involvement on your part, uh, possibly in taking over some of that organizational responsibilities for the race? Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll certainly help out and, and do whatever I can, uh, you know, with those things. And again, my family being right there, essentially with a, a mailing address. That is all but at Frozen Head, if, if that's needed. I, I do, I manage a Barkley fund. You, you know, the, the race entry fee of a buck sixty doesn't cover the race expenses. So there's kind of a Barkley donations fund. And, and I have a PayPal account that Laz is very uh, averse to any sort of digital finance. So I, I have that. And then transfer and write him a physical check and send it in the mail. Uh, so, you know, there, <laughs> There are a few things I help out with, and I'm I'm happy to do, but uh, I'm I'm not the one who will be uh, taking over the race by any means. And did uh, you get carded buying cigarettes this year? No, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> so you know, I, I guess I've I've aged a bit. That was, <laughs> yeah, last year I've I've never felt more sketchy of of being in middle of nowhere rural Tennessee and, and I get carded trying to buy my cigarettes uh, as as my entry fee for the, the race and I pull out my my UK my, my British driver's license and it's <laughs> kind of like what more sketch thing is there of someone having a fake ID than you know, a foreign driver's license in Wartburg Tennessee that's, that's straight out of, straight out of super bad right there yeah, and, and clearly, you know, I, I don't sound British, so it, it kind of <laughs> adding to the skepticism there. Is, uh, but it, it worked. I, I got him, so all good. Yeah, I love Aurelian, that story. What was, Aurelian, as a, as a Barkley version, what was what did you have to bring this year for Laz? I brought a license plate. It was a license plate from when I was in Arizona uh, with a Grand Canyon on it, uh, which was um, the symbol of when I started the Ultra. And uh, I had a French uh, label uh, on it. So, yeah, I think it was, yeah, that was only it. I, I only have to bring a license plate as a virgin. So, so to, does that mean we count your finish as an American finish then? You brought an American license plate. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. <laughs> So, uh, so this, uh, you know, Aurelian is the was the first non-American to finish since the first finisher, Mark Williams, in in 1995. Right. So he's wow. he's now one of three. He is also one of three people to never face the bugle. Uh, Brett wow. Mowney and Ted uh, Cave Dog Kaiser are, are the only two who were finishers, finished on their first attempt and never came back to, to fail in, in future years. So as of right now, Aurelian <laughs> is, is one of those three. You exactly. Could, you know. Why not someday? Yeah? Yeah. I would love to come back for sure. So we'll never know what, what will happen. Yeah. Uh, Aurelian, tell us about that reception you got when you got home. It looked pretty incredible. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, my girlfriend made this up. She called all my friends and my family and they were here. Uh, so it was amazing. They've all followed along. Uh, 
Um, they followed this. Yeah, a lot of them, I mean, my friends and uh, the people around me knew that I was doing that. But then there were other people as well, my colleagues and the people who are doing trail running in France who were following along uh, more and more as I was more making progress. Um, so it was very important here. Uh, I was, um, I had a good welcome. Uh, it was very nice to share. The first week was very busy uh, for me, uh, but it was such an amazing moment for me to share. Uh, so it was, uh, it was very special, yeah. Were you expecting that or was it? No, know. not at all. Not at all. I was expecting just to go back to my uh, normal routine uh, first day, uh, but it spend, uh, I spent a little bit more time to, to do that. I love how much France loves the Barclay and I love that reception mm. you got. And um, it, yeah. it, it's awesome that uh, you've, you've now given your country a finisher. <laughs> exactly, yes. I know for many years we've been... Uh, We've been uh, failing uh, as a as a nationality, as a country, as you said. So at least uh, we have that already. So it's good. Need, need to uh, need to tell Alexis to get started on another book, or at least an appendix to to, to add on to it. <laughs> yeah, maybe something will be going on on this uh, topic. We'll see. Uh, we have a discussion ongoing with Alexis. We'll see. All right. So, what is the next big event for uh, for John and Aurelian? What's 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 next on the horizon for you guys? Uh, so, well, as we were discussing just a bit before the show, I, I have my sights on a, a big FKT this this summer that probably isn't going to work out, but I think I'll redirect my planning to a different uh, big FKT. And, and then I've, I've got Tour de Jean in September, which is one of those that uh, I, I've not yet had a good race at. So hopefully I can fix that this year. About racing on my side, I just have one more event coming up in June, which is called the uh, Chartres Terminal Room. It's actually uh, my hat right here. <laughs> it's uh, the French Barclay, let's say. I did it last year. Uh, I did two and a half loops. It's uh, a race that nobody finished yet, so we are all discovering if it's possible or not. It's uh, either over the limit or at the limit. We still don't know. So very interesting. Uh, it's coming in June, uh, and after that, my uh, my year of ultra running, running is done, uh, and I'm going to focus on my... Uh, my uh, personal time, let's say. So I have this coming soon. Um, I can wait. It will be fun. And uh, and yeah, we'll see. Okay. So there you have it. We are just about done here. I hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Aurelian and John. I want to thank them for joining us this week. Guys, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media? Where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Uh, so I've got my blog at, at randomforestrunner.com. Uh, don't don't get to post there as, as much as I would like anymore outside of race reports, but it, it's got links to, to all my social media on it as well. Yeah, me too. Social media, I'm sharing time to times, sharing my, my personal project uh, most of the time, the Terminal Room soon, uh, Instagram. So yeah, the information can be found uh, out there. Okay. And how about you, Legend? Where can they, where can they follow you? Oh, just freeoutside.com has everything. All right. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakingmirror at gmail.com. What have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up today, just one more segment for you called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What do we, what do we miss today, guys? Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I don't don't know. We, we've done a pretty good job of covering things. Normally, I get 
people ask a lot more about my snack choices. Um, but it, you know, I, I think that that info is well out there. My my notorious sweet tooth. So uh, I've been been loading up on on little Debbie cakes and celebratory ice cream and, and pizza since the race. So uh, it, yeah, I, I think y'all y'all did a, a good job of covering things here. Aurelian, anything you want to leave us with? No, no, not much. I think we we covered it today. It was very interesting to discuss with you. Thank you guys for uh, for having us. I uh, had a great time to talk with you, to Jeff, to John, of course, again. Uh, so yeah, no, nothing much else to add, but uh, but a thank you. Yeah, right. and I'll just you know, I, I, one thing with Barclay, it's it's uh, unfortunate that that more people can't get out there and and do it, and and so I think though that the the idea of it of just going out, taking on a, a big grand adventure and uh, not being afraid of failing, uh, finding something that you're passionate about, just just get out there and do it. It, it doesn't have to be uh, something that's already there. Make it up. I've, I've done that before and uh, just in, enjoy it. Find what you love doing and uh, then, then do hard things uh, in, in that area. Some great advice right there. All right, we are finished. Thank you for coming on the podcast, guys. We wish you the very best in your future adventures, and we hope you'll consider coming back at some point and sharing some more epic stories. As we close up today, do you have any shout-outs to friends and family? All of them on my side. <laughs> the entire <laughs> country a particular of ones. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And to Guillaume, <laughs> of course, which is uh, which, uh, which I spend the race with, uh, if he's receiving that, so yeah, everyone otherwise. Yeah, and and always, especially my my wife for me, uh, she's been incredibly supportive as uh, I've I've done these adventures. You know, she didn't marry an ultra runner, but now she finds herself <laughs> married to one. And uh, you know, people ask if if she crews for me, and and she has the much more difficult task of uh, managing our, our kids while I'm out uh, stumbling around through the woods. Okay. Well, thank you for tuning in. Always remember, the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if your watch alarm doesn't work and you need to take a dirt nap and somebody has taken a book off the course. Trail is the trail. Embrace the sock. <laughs>